Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I don't know any of the words. He's, he pronounces Genghis Khan incorrectly also. It's Genghis. Come on. Jenga. Probably just, yeah. Yeah. I get a little bit Genghis Khan. It doesn't have the doesn't same ring to it. It would if. Quite. Don't want you to get it on with nobody else but me. And then that's this part. <laughs> Was that all right, Joe? Yep. Hey, everybody. <laughs> If you know the song we're talking about, it's really catchy. And at first, I was like, man, he's saying Genghis Khan in the middle of this song. It's dumb. And then I listened to it, and then I it's catchy as hell. played it again. And then I did it like four times in a row. I was like, it's amazing. Well, the funny thing is we walked into our room, you know, it was late. It was afternoon. It was probably like 11. This is when you were in Vegas In last Vegas, week. yeah. And we hear it it's super loud outside, and we're like, oh, man, because it's like almost midnight. We're not about to go to bed, but we're like, how long is this? Gonna-? We thought it was the club. Oh, nice. You know, like, we're, oh, good. They put us in the room right next to the club. We're never going to sleep tonight because that'll <laughs> go until 5 a.m. And then so I opened the door and I'm like, oh, it's a concert. And right then that song just came on. Like, we caught Jeez. like the one song by them that I would know. And I was like, oh, this is an actual band. This is not like yeah, the house yeah. band or something. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. That is nice. That's very cool. Hey. And they were like right down from our balcony. So we just watched the rest of the concert. That is a, that is a two for one. That is in a two most, for one. In the most classic sense. That is a two for one. Well, was, it was an expensive hotel, so yeah. it was really just <laughs> yeah. a one for one. Yeah, well, it was a hidden two for it one. It was what you would expect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? You're listening to The Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. We're joined today by Craig Blanchett. Host uh, number three. Host number three at this That's point, right. yeah. Say hi, Craig. What's up, guys? Craig Blanchett, at Craig Blanchett on Twitter, has brought a topic to us today to, to, to discuss over the show, and it's a fun one. This is a Command Zone first. Yeah. Neither Jimmy Wong nor Josh Lee Kwai came up with the topic or outlined it for this episode. It was the first time we've actually had, I mean, we've had guests on the show, mm-hmm. but they don't actually say, this is what the show is going to be about here, guys. Yeah. Craig threatened us. And when you're at Nine Infect, you'll listen to anything he has to say. <laughs> <laughs> so. I could proliferate, guys. <laughs> yeah. At instant speed. You never know. Um, so the show today is going to be EDH Essentials. Now, we're going to be talking about essential effects and cards that are just the best for the format. It's going to be ret- retreading a lot of familiar water for our more experienced players that are listening to the show. But 
I think it is very important to always establish foundations because without foundations, it's going to be hard to do anything well or have a really true amounts of fun with it in life. I think also this is kind of like Craig's unified theory of commander. Mm -hmm. And so we've heard obviously over a hundred and whatever episodes, Jimmy and I pontificate at length about our philosophies for commander. And we've gotten a taste of Craig's, but this time we can really see another perspective about how he looks at the format. Craig plays a ton of EDH um, in a few different play groups. So Craig introduced me really to EDH the most out of everyone. That Craig has the with. most easy H decks of anybody in our play group. Yeah. Um, Did you say easy H? Cause that, that is what EDH. it is to Craig. It is easy H. He's played so much at, at this, this point, point, man. I mean, these, these 10 kind of things that we're going to talk about are, are things that are kind of, uh, they're central to the game and central to almost every deck. So, you know, this is, uh, one of those conversations where I think anybody listening will be able to take something away from this, whether you play, you know, at a card shop where your, you know, your play group might be uh, something that you can't choose or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, go into a friend's house where, you know, you can kind of uh, single out those people a little bit more. Yeah. Great to work in any situation. Uh, if you guys want to share an episode with your friends about the command zone, why not send them this one? This is a great starting point. Uh, a post 100 apocalypse. Post 100 apocalypse. <laughs> wow, I like that. That's the, That should be the new title yeah. instead of EDH Essentials. Um, before we get into it, before we hand the reins over to Craig here, we did want to talk about one thing from the last episode that came up. So we had some sound issues when we initially uploaded the audio. Uh, there was a few minutes where we sounded like we were robots. So that was a clear audio issue. And thank you for those people that let us know on Twitter. Almost Anything immediately, like, by the way. So yeah, thank you. So fast. I think Peyton Bullis was the first guy that let us know. So thanks, Peyton. Uh, and everybody else that did also. If an issue occurs, which we're on top of it, it usually won't. Obviously, we try to avoid it. But if it does, um, we want to let you know that we will always fix it very fast. And the best way for you to get the correct audio, because you can pretty much assume within an hour or so of it being mm-hmm. uh incorrect that we will correct it is to refresh your feed and and re-download it yeah there's going to be a new name for the file before we've just replaced the file on the server and would require some people to delete the file and then redownload it we're just going to release another episode and it's just going to have the words fixed audio or new over it so you should always listen to that version um and then we'll get rid of the other one and for it'll eventually disappear from people's feeds but yeah just look for that new audio or final whatever (laughs) yeah it's a little bit of an issue because everybody's phone handles it differently and caches the information differently and so some people were deleting it and re-downloading it and still having the problem because it would actually still link to the old cached version that they're yeah. yeah so anyway in the future there will be a new file name and you should just if you're ever downloading and there happens to be two and they look identical but one says the word new or fixed audio take the new or fixed audio one follow the new don't don't do the old one all right I don't want any of that old wine. Give me some of that new wine. Yeah. No, that's not how you want it. You don't want new wine. You didn't see that movie? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the newest wine you got. <laughs> I don't want none of that age stuff. That'll be fresh out the cask. All right. Um, let's talk about 10 essential effects to EDH and the cards that work best. We are going to delve into Craig Blanchett's Unified Theory of Commander. Take it away, Craig. So today's episode is going to be about 10 essential effects that uh, happen in EDH games and certain cards that can kind of take advantage of all of these effects in any deck. Sweet. So it looks like our first category is every deck. Cards that are so good, you need them in every deck that plays those colors. Um, these are what we usually refer to as like format staples. Yep. 
uh, obviously, we've all heard of them. Soul Ring, Command Tower, the best land and the single best uh, artifact ramp, I think, in the game. It's in every single starter product. Uh, there's no reason not to have any of these cards in your deck if you are more on the... Uh, you can also have cards like Mana Vault, I think, is also incredibly good. Now, these cards, they get more expensive the further down the list we go because they're just that good. Yeah, Mana Vault is... Mana Crypt. Ugh. Yeah. I, I, these type of cards, we you'll if you listen to the show much, we talk about certain cards all the time. This is those cards that fall into. And we actually place them highly on our list the more decks they can go into. And they're usually, mm-hmm. like, colorless, right? So... That's why Soul Ring, Command Tower, Sensei's Divining Top, I think, is another one that fits into that. Interestingly, you also listed a couple of lands here. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the new cards, I think, are really cool, especially the ones from Battle for Zendikar and the ones from Oath of, uh, Oath of the Gatewatch. And two of those that I picked out that I think have gone into a lot of my decks and really performed well in the past couple games are Mirror Pool and Seagate Wreckage. And the reason why is Mirror Pool... For that new colorless mana that they're trying to push, Mirapool is really cool in that for a very inexpensive cost, you can copy any instant or sorcery spell, which is very important in any kind of Talrand or Mizzix deck, as well as kind of double a creature that you have. So, you know, if one of your legendary creatures is being destroyed, you can make a copy of that and still have that. Um, it just, Mirapool offers a lot of options. Uh, for the game that you're playing. Let uh, me just read Mirror Pool really quick. We did talk about it last episode a little bit. Um, it's a land. It comes in play tapped. It can tap for diamond or colorless mana. You can pay two in a diamond, sacrifice Mirror Pool, and then copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, and then you may choose new targets for the copy. So you fork one of your own spells. Or you can pay four and a diamond and sacrifice the Mirror Pool. Sorry, tap and sacrifice the Mirror Pool. And then you can put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of a target creature you can control. So when he says you copy one of your own spells or you copy one of your own creatures, that's how it does it. You have to sacrifice the Mirror Pool, and you do need diamond mana from another source that's not the Mirror Pool. That's kind of the kicker to me with these cards. How have you gotten around you know, that that problem, that issue. Right. So Mirror Pool is typically a card that I will play in a lot of three-color decks. And the reason why is because, as you guys know, I've, you know, invested a lot of time and, you know, money into Magic over the years. And I played back when the uh, the Pain Lands were a part of the a part of the game, you know, especially back in M15 and whatnot. And so a lot of the Pain Lands, a lot of the Filter Lands that tap for colorless... I have in a lot of the three color decks that I have. So making colorless mana is not that hard of a problem. Right. Uh, so if you're in a tri- in a three color deck, then you've got what? Three pain lands and three, three filter lands. lands. Three fi- so there's you know, six three right filters, there. There's six. And then, uh, you know, just the utility lands that tap for colorless as well. Not to mention any mana rock will tap for colorless. A lot of creatures will as well. Right. So uh, it's not, it's something you have to definitely keep in mind when you're making your decks. And of course, Seagate Wreckage, which you also have on here, is the other half to like, yes, this is a card that adds colorless. And Seagate Wreckage is great, uh, especially in the Boros deck. My goodness. It taps add colorless, and you can pay two and a colorless to tap it to draw a card, but you can only do it if you have no cards in hand. So if your mana base can support this, as in if you don't have cards that require you to have ridiculous mana costs, uh, like a ton of colored symbols, you can play a card like Seagate Wreckage, and it's never a bad draw. It'll always be a land, and for the most part, it shouldn't hurt you when you're trying to cast your spells, which is why uh, these lands... 
can definitely find their way into a lot of decks. Maybe not every single deck, but I think if you don't have card draw, Seagate Wreckage is an amazing way to just get it at a very, very low cost. Okay, I got a Seagate Wreckage combo, right? All right. Here we go. Bottled Cloister. It's four... It's four mana for an artifact. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, remove your hand from the game face down. Ooh, exile him. At the beginning of your upkeep, return all cards removed from the game with Bottled Cloister to your hand, then draw a card. So you get an extra card each turn, but it also allows oh, cool. you to Ooh. set your hand aside so you have no cards in hand and you can right. Seagate Wreckage. Worth it? Yes. Um, <laughs> probably, probably not for one card, but I'm just saying, Boros, you're really hard up for card draw. Think about it. I'm saying yes in case you're a uh, uh, bottled cloister. Such you know name. how I thought of this card when we did a chaos draft in Vegas with like oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Corbin and Jason and the Brainstorm Brewery guys. I actually got this in a draft <laughs> and it was awesome. And I was like, hey, that will work with Secret Wreckage. Just thought of it just now. That's yeah. really cool, especially because Manangara's Tomb and there's also like a scepter that you can put your hand underneath. Yes. That uh, those are very cool. That's actually a good idea. I like Seagate Wreckage because I run it in a lot of the, as Jimmy said, a lot of the cards or a lot of the decks that I run a lot of mana ramp, especially rocks, uh, like Memnarch or uh, Una Queen of the Fey. So I typically play out my hand very fast, and then I have the colorless mana to be able to kind yeah. of draw those extra cards. Yeah, and, and really quickly, other cards that, of course, that every deck's going to want to play are board wipes. We talk about this every single time that we pretty much get a chance to so any kind of board wipe toxic deluge is the best one in black by far just wrath of god or every single deck i think in general is gonna want to have a board wipe it's just way too powerful josh to you it's it's the single most powerful card you can play in edh and i tend to agree yeah and and you'll notice that each color has its sort of like marquee board wipes and those are ubiquitous to that color Mm -hmm. so like cyclonic rift is blues wrath of god is whites blasphemous act is red Toxic Deluge is Blacks. Green has a tougher time in this arena, but Azuri's Predation, I think, is a pretty good one. It's not quite awesome. Um, green has the toughest time because they don't have, like, true, true board wipes. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to get rid of your creatures in green. Yeah, exactly. You, green, you doesn't, green just doesn't want to do that. Inherently. But if green had board wipes, you would still put them in your green deck because there's just so many times and you look around in a game and you're like the only way I have a chance is if I can just hit the reset button. Yeah. I think another, you know, important point is uh different types of board wipes like, you know, austere command. You can choose between whether it's creatures or enchantments or artifacts. Toxic deluge get will get rid of indestructible creatures as will terminus um, you know, and merciless eviction as well. Uh, just those different types of board wipes, whether you're exiling or tucking or, you know, giving minus one, minus one counters. There's that new one from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. It's um, if you have Delirium, you get a 4-4 Angel, but it exiles all creatures. It's 4 and 2 white. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merciless Eviction, I believe. No, that's uh, the black-white one. Uh, Desecration of something or something. Oh, right. Or maybe I'm thinking of Declaration in Stone. Oh, yeah. It's Descend Upon the Sinful. Descend Upon the Sinful. Oh, also yeah. had it in a draft, and it's amazing, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anytime I mean, you can play a... I mean, in limited, it wins you the game. If you much. have Delirium, you just win. You just wait, and then you're like, boom, kill everything, have a 4-4 four, four Angel. And they're like, I have no cards in my hand. I'm, yeah. I lose now. Also, I have no Delirium, because you exiled <laughs> everything. All right. Okay, um, so this category, I think we've talked about a lot on the show before. Um, the next two also, but we'll touch on them. So the next one you've got written down, Craig, is Ramp. I mean, one of the most important, the next two are the two most important, ramp and card draw. And ramp is just incredibly important, uh, especially early on, to be able to play your bigger spells sooner. 
Um, the commander that I went for with this, that kind of, if you like, you know, this aspect of magic, Azusa is probably a commander that you're going to want to consider running. Azusa, um, lost but seeking. The card has gone up in price, but it is, she's queen ramp. She's two in green for a one-two. Legendary creature, human monk from Champions of Kamigawa. And she just says, you may play two additional lands on each of your turns. Yeah. Combine that with a little bit of card draw and you're off to the races. And obviously green is one of the one of the biggest colors in this aspect, you know, uh, with the ramp. And one of the other biggest cards is burgeoning, which, you know, for one green on turn one, you get out burgeoning. Next turn, everybody in your playgroup is going to be dropping a, a land. So you have the potential to be by turn two at five mana. Yeah, so, we should read burgeoning really quick. So burgeoning is a one mana enchantment, <clears throat> one green. Whenever an opponent plays a land, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, by turn two, if you're at five lands, now you'll have like two cards in your hand, but say one of them was a card draw spell. Uh, <laughs> yep, you're going to win. Absolutely. I mean, if you, kept a, if you kept a um, hand with five lands and two spells, it it doesn't matter. Like, you'd rather have the five lands on the table. It wouldn't, yeah. like, you're never going to just suddenly turn two of those lands into cards anyway. Yeah, so keeping a might... five land hand is also pretty normal in yeah. Commander, I'd say, so... It's basically fast bond, and fast bond is banned, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's not quite as good, obviously, but it's really close. Yeah. And especially even late game, if you're having consistent card draw, that 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 ramp late game, you know, if you can drop something like consecrated sphinx, so by the time it comes around to you, you have eight lands or eight cards in hand or whatever. Now you can keep dropping three, four lands every time before it comes back to you. Uh, very powerful at, at any point in the game, in my opinion. I think a lot of people know ramp is good, and they know that green is the best at ramp. I, I think it's kind of the tough part comes when you're not in green. Absolutely. You know, and I think Gilded Lotus is uh, a nice card that can kind of go in any deck that uh, even though it gets five to get there, you know, by turn six, you're at nine mana typically, uh, which, you know, typically allows you to play anything in your in your deck. Um so Gilded Lotus is one that can kind of go in any deck. Uh, some of the others are obviously uh, Soul Ring, Worn Power Stone, Thran Dynamo, uh, things that you're going to want to consider for any deck. Signets, um, I might add, uh, are now with the new Mulligan rules, Signets are incredibly good in EDH, and they just keep getting better. I think one of the reasons, and I don't, I don't know if everybody understands, is Signets cost two mana. Yeah. And there's not a lot to do in EDH on turn two because you're not running two drop creatures most of the time. They just don't do enough. They just get outclassed so fast. And if they're like a really important utility creature, well, you don't really want to run them out on two either because what do they do right then except just get killed mm-hmm. when somebody casts a board wipe? Like, so two is just a place where like you play your second mana and you want to have something to do so you can take advantage of that turn. And a Signet's a great thing to do with that. Whereas three... There's some other effects you might want to start doing, but two usually there's just very few in most decks. Yeah, and and the the power of that card, just to touch on it briefly, is that you can pay a colorless mana into it to tap it, or a generic mana, and then you can make colored mana out of it. Something that the filter lands don't have is that you have to invest colored mana to make different kinds of colored mana. This you don't need to have a specific color, so it also helps fix you in, a, in an interesting way, which is very very, very powerful. Yeah, and this- and on the signet you're actually. Uh, gain one mana on that exchange. So you put mm-hmm. one mana in. Let's say it's is it signet. It, you'd put one generic mana in, tap the signet, 
and you'd get a blue and a red. So it turns one mana into two mana, so it does ramp you. Mm-hmm. And on that same level, you know, in certain decks, the uh, the talismans are going to be just as just as important too, because those you do pay one one life when you do tap it for a color, but they can immediately tap for a colorless. So on cer- in certain decks, the talismans are are an option over the signets. Yeah, definitely. Uh, card draw is the next uh, signpost essential effect of EDH and. This makes a lot of sense, and I wanted to address actually some people in the comments of our last video were saying Reliquary Tower isn't necessary in every single kind of deck, because in some decks you're going to want to dump your hands, or like you can use it as a discard outlet once you get to eight cards or whatever. Uh, to that argument, I'm like, well, actually, that's one of the most inefficient ways to do it, and you probably don't want to be discarding that way, because we're not playing second grade magic at this point, which is like, <laughs> aha, like I don't draw cards. Like you'd rather be doing stuff every turn overall in, in a game that's going to last 15 turns. It's going to benefit you. Even if you want to dump things specifically in your graveyard, relying on the fact that you're going to be at over the set, you know, eight cards plus mm-hmm. and using your discard phase is not the way to do it. You want cards that you play or that sit there on the battlefield that specifically let you discard cards. You want to play stuff like Entomb that lets you go and find a specific thing and put it in your graveyard. Yeah, I'd say most graveyard recursion decks still want Reliquary Tower. They still want to hold a bunch of cards in their hand just so they have options. Yeah, because it's not like, oh, it's seven cards and a thousand cards. It can be the difference between seven cards and nine cards. And some decks have larger combos or need to have other like answers to threats on the boards. And in general, more cards, the better. So that's why card draws on here. Who's the commander you chose for this one? So the commander for this is Nekusar, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah Just because, you know, it not only gives card draw to everybody else, but it pains them for it as well. Um, Nekusar is a is a deck that Josh plays a lot. And combined with a lot of those effects, you know, when other people draw cards, they take one damage. It can really be uh, quite a powerhouse. Yeah. I like Nekusar a lot. Um, obviously, a creature that is at the t- tip top consecrates Finks. We draw amazing amounts of cards off this. Um, and it's important to note that there's also a lot of mana uh, mana rocks that draw, uh, specifically uh, the Hedron. Wow, yeah, Hedron uh, Archive. Hedron Archive, which yep. I think is immediately, to me, everything about that card says an EDH deck is always going to be happier playing this than not. Well, it's great. It's ramp and card draw, right? It's like it ramps you. And then what's the problem with ramp? The problem with ramp is I have all this mana and nothing to do with it because I ran out of cards because all my cards made more mana. Mm -hmm. Well, Hedron Archive says, okay, well, now that you don't need me anymore, turn me into cards. Uh, Hedron Archive is an artifact that taps for two uh, diamond mana, or you can sacrifice it and draw two cards. Yeah, you have to pay two, and it costs four total. It's Um, nice and flexible. I like this that we're going through this, Craig, because it gives us an uh, opportunity to touch on philosophies we haven't talked about in a while. One thing is card advantage Mm -hmm. and how it's sort of a little bit different in EDH. You know, we've talked about this, but it's been a while about why cards are important. You know, one reason is just, like you said earlier, Jimmy, having a lot of answers to a lot of different things. You can't, if you only have two cards in your hand, you Mm -hmm. just can't. If you have 20 cards in your hand, well... Anything that hits the board, you're just more likely to be able to deal with it. Yeah. So, but card advantage is also this thing we've talked about where, like, if you use one of your cards to get rid of one of your opponent's cards in one on one magic, that's fine Mm. because you're even. In EDH, it's kind of bad because I use one of my cards to get rid of Craig's card. Jimmy just sat there and now he's one card above both me and Craig. So all I did was help Jimmy in that instance. It, sometimes yeah. you still have to do it. But the way to negate that is a lot of card draw. Because if I have 24 cards in my hand, 
It doesn't matter. Yeah. I get use one of my cards to get where the Craig's, and Jimmy's still sitting there with his eight cards. I've still got 23. We're fine. When you have a wealth of options, you feel much safer. I'll say that much in I, general. I think you guys are talking touching on some like next level magic type stuff you know obviously card draw is one of the most advantageous uh, points of magic and being able to have a reliquary tower to be able to keep those options is incredibly important and you know we know that it, a lot of card draw holding on uh, you know getting more options earlier on is something that's important um, but some of these uh, you know when when I started out I certainly didn't want to get rid of my cards you know I didn't want to right. draw 20 cards and then have to choose 11 to drop in my in my graveyard I was like wait a second no um, yeah more cards is good cards <laughs> even right. if you don't have reliquary tear out and yeah this is something we see especially from newer players which is like they don't want to do things like draw 12 cards when they don't have a way to keep those cards in your hand always do it it's so much better to have like the best seven cards out of like 20 cards or whatever than it is to just have the seven that you already had. It's not a downside. You're, you're getting really good card selection. Yeah. Don't be scared to discard to your discard phase. And yep. there's also the option of being able to grab those cards from your graveyard later, which we're going to touch on in a few items. Yeah. Card advantage is called an advantage for a reason. Um, all right. Uh, this is actually the next topic is one that we talk about every time we do a deck doctor is sort of protect yourself. Or how do you make sure that you make it to the end game, either protecting your commander or you yourself? And we have some uh, classics here. Uh, let's start off with Ghostly Prison slash Propaganda. Both of these are enchantments in white and blue, respectively, that essentially allow you to survive the game longer by not dying to creature combat. Ghostly, uh, Ghostly Prison, two in the white for an enchantment creature's can't attack you unless her controller pays two mana for each creature he or she controls that's attacking you. Propaganda is the exact same; it's just in blue. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, yep. It's 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 so important because so many times you're like, I'm gonna dirtle around and do my cool thing, and then you realize you're at eight life because everyone saw you trying to do your cool thing, and they're like, All right, I'll peck at you for five in the air, four on the ground. Like, what? You're not okay. You're you died. Or if you <laughs> just have like a slow draw. Yeah. You know, even if your deck's not necessarily going to dirtle, if you just have this protects you from a slow draw because it taxes them for attacking you. Yeah. And in commander that that taxes so much more than in one on one because in one on one if I just pay the two mana and attack you, that's fine. If that takes my whole turn, right? Yeah. Right. But in commander that actually puts me behind to the other players that don't pay mana to attack you and instead they develop their board. Yeah. And it kind of it takes you out in the game, but it really doesn't. And the way that I think is a really bad way to look at it and sometimes happens to me is someone plays that card, you just go, Well, I'll ignore them for yep. now. It's like, no, actually you should be paying attention because now they are at a more advantage because they take themselves out of the political battle of the combat side of the game and it ends up being really good. It protects yourself in more ways than one. Right. You go to attack them and they say, oh, do you pay two per creature? And you're like, eh, actually, I wanted to cast spells this turn. No, I don't. I'm going to attack Josh instead. Yeah. Um, and we know a lot of these as pillow forts. You know, there's a lot of others like Windborne Muse and uh, there's there's others that, you know, count the amount of enchantments that you have and stuff like that. But the nice thing about Ghostly Prison and Propaganda is, you know, let's say you're playing a, a, a Sun Titan or something like that. Those can come back. Uh, which is really nice. And you can get them out on turn three, or if you're playing a soul ring, possibly even turn two, which is really, really nice. Yep. I agree with all these things. Another one that, uh, you know, a great way to protect yourself if you're playing a deck like Mizzix or something like that, where you're not really, or uh, Nekusar, where you're not attacking, is Glacial Chasm. 
Yeah, we mentioned this, of course, in our uh, Top 10 Lands episode last week. Glacial Chasm, always good. And you get to, the more you get to control a card, the better, too. Uh, something that is nice about Ghostly Prison, it's an enchantment that will almost never be a downside, I don't think, for you. I can't imagine a case where it is a downside. Um, and Glacial Chasm can be, but it's amazing because you get to choose when you get rid of it. All right, next category, find what you need. So these are tutors. That's not- Hiller. And so we tried to also kind of stay away from the obvious black tutors. So these are some thoughts on some interesting situational tutors that uh, you may not have thought about. And some interesting commanders that, you know, if you like tutoring for combos and things like that, that you may want to consider. Sidisi, you know, is is an obvious choice. He gets to search you for whatever you want. But, you know, mono black might be a little bit tough. That's Sidisi undead vizier, not brood tyrant. Yes. Super undead. And the other would be Captain Sisse, which is uh, a nice fun deck in white and green where you can kind of search out for your legendary permanence. You know, it doesn't limit it just to creatures. So, you know, searching for legendary lands and things like that can be very advantageous as well. Yeah, um, very, the- very interesting. Captain Sisse is certainly a very powerful card. Um, now, when Craig talked about the Black Tutors, he, of course, means Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, uh, basically the cards that we all know what they do, so we don't need to mention them again. But in any color, however, you're going to want to look for cards, and uh, Planar Portal is on this list for that reason, is because it's a tutor that is colorless man that's six colorless man you can pay six and tap it and you search your library for a card and put it into your hand and shuffle your library it's repeatable it is an investment of 12 mana to do but hey some some colors just aren't as good at finding any card and putting it into your hand so it's an option and the nice thing about magic is over its long long history saying something like oh i'm not playing black so i don't have access to the best tutors is actually something that you should not have to really worry about because there are always different ways to get at your goal in EDH because the game's been around for so long and cards have been released for so many years. And what reminded me of this one was a buddy of mine was talking to me the other day telling me that he was building a blue-green deck that went infinite with mana, but he didn't know what to do with that. And so I recommended Planar Portal, which was a card that he hadn't thought of. You know, He hadn't, he hadn't heard of Planar Portal. Uh, we have, yeah. I don't think we've seen a planar portal in a long time. Add any kind of effect like Staff of Dom- Domination uh, with infinite mana, and you are off to the races. Staff of Domination and infinite mana, and you win, basically. Yeah, you win. It's yeah. it's kind of hard to not win <laughs> at that point. Uh, I like how you put Birthing Pod on here, because you don't think of it as a tutor card, but it is really anything that lets you go find a specific thing in your deck. Now, a fetch line is not what we would normally call a tutor, but... Birthing pod, basically, you sack a creature, and then you get to go find another creature, depending on the casting cost. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... Just one plus. You you level them up. Yeah. They keep birthing into new, crazier things. Right. So, and you can repeatedly use it. So, eventually, you can get to any creature if you start with a low enough casting cost. But that's something that wouldn't necessarily fall in my mind under tutor, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's very situational, but at the same time, these are cards that you do build decks around. Exactly. A birthing pod. If you have a birthing pod in your deck, you should have cards that go CMC 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, you know, yes. th- there's no reason not to because it's just like you get to get the next one. Very, very insane. Um, Pattern of Rebirth is another one that you wrote down. Uh, and Green has this amazing ability to tutor for things as well as just throw them onto the battlefield. Just just womp them on. Mother Nature's here. Pattern of Rebirth is 300 green for an enchantment. When enchant creature dies, that creature's controller may search his or her library for a creature card and put it onto the battlefield. And if you do, they shuffle your library. So uh, it's insane. You can get the biggest, baddest thing in the world 
and it's enter the battlefield ability for four mana and a sack outlet. Yeah, pattern pattern of rebirth and a sack outlet is always great. So is defense of the heart if you're playing against people or you know who have three or more creatures out on the battlefield already. Now you get to bring in two of your biggest creatures. Um, you know, and in other colors, you know, stuff like gamble, firemind's foresight, muddle the mixture is always interesting and going up in price right now. Um, well, that's an interesting case because transmute. Mm-hmm. is yeah. a form of tutor. So transmute is a mechanic. There'll be a transmute cost. If you pay that, then you get to discard the uh, transmute card and then go find a card within your library with the same CMC as the card that you discarded. So Muddle the Mixture lets you go find a two CMC card right? and it costs you three mana. So it's like a weird kind of tutor that's specific, but it does, you know, you can stack your deck. I forget the name of it, but there's a wall that costs three and mm-hmm. it has transmute and it's blue. And I put it into a couple decks because I have important three CMC spells in those decks, and I just want to be able to go find that those specific spells. Yeah. And so I don't. I never use. I never cast the wall. I just transmute it every time I get it because I know there's one of two spells that I'm always going to want. Yeah. yeah. Especially in decks that are very Johnny heavy, like your Zergos yeah. Home Smasher deck that wants to ping itself, you need to be able to get those cards. Um, so yeah, transmuting as well, and also you know every color has the ability to fetch different things. So blue, for instance, has fabricate, which helps them find artifacts green as we said before is very creature based white are enchantments uh and also artifacts are also artifacts yeah red doesn't really tutor it has gamble which makes you discard a card by the way i've cast gamble three times in the past three times i played edh every single time it's discarded the card that i i searched for wow and i've had hands of like six or seven each time <laughs> that's just what we call running cold running real cold in <laughs> red no no less the universe is trying to tell me something and i'm stubbornly saying no because that's what i would do <laughs> and black of course is the color that can tutor for anything um yeah. there's also an there's two different kinds of tutors on the cards that actually say the word tutor so there's some that put it directly into your hand so you search for it mm-hmm. put it to hand there are some that put it on top of your library now, the library ones are actually card disadvantage, and it's something to watch out for if you sort of keep an opening hand and you're thinking, I'm going to go get this card. And it's like, you can, I've done it before where I sort of calculated wrong, where I'm like, oh man, I'm, I have no cards in hand mm-hmm. because I actually just wasted a card playing a card that put something on top of my library, but not into my hand. That, that actually yeah. kills a card. I've yeah. taken a few of those out of my decks for that specific situation, for that exact, yeah. Yeah, so it's just something to watch out for. I think those cards are still Enlightened Tutor, Mystical Tutor, Worldly Tutor, that kind of stuff. Still very, very good, but you have to realize in certain situations that is card disadvantage, and you have to be a little bit careful. Yep, definitely. But uh, tutoring is also, I think, I mean, some people say you shouldn't run too many tutors or whatever. I always find that I, it's an inconsistent game at the end of the day. And walking into a new meta and being like, I want to show you this deck. And you play it and you're like, hope I draw the right cards to show how this deck works. Uh, you actually have a much smaller chance of that than hope I draw the right cards. And then the additional five or six cards in my deck that can help me make sure that I get to have fun playing. And that exactly. to me is at the heart of why tutoring is important for me as a player is you want to have fun playing. You want to win as well. But the fun part of EDH is, I think, one of the biggest reasons we all play. And I will always tutor for my combo pieces. You know, so obviously a couple of, of uh, my decks are very combo heavy. So, you know, Muddle the Mixture will help me search for my infinite co- mana combo in my mono blue Memnarch. Um, of course it would, Craig. Right. So <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of different playgroups have different stances on tutoring and and. Sheldon and the rules committee, well, Sheldon specifically, has come out and sort of, I don't know, been slightly negative towards tutoring. And that's caused a lot of people to say, like, tutoring shouldn't be in the format or whatever. It's just so hard to police. To me, there's yeah. too much gray area, you know. you 
you either say there's tutors or there's not. And right now there is. And then, so then you, what are we going to do? Like start squabbling over like, you've got three, I've got six. Who's bad? Who's wrong? So for us, we just run tutors and it's fine. It's how you use them at the end of the day. And even then, like, go get your infinite combo. Like, what are you supposed to do? Go get something. Like, I, I get it. You have to do what you have to do. It's just hard to police the game on that level otherwise. Yeah, for certain. Um, all right, moving on. We have, oh, my favorite, take control. Stealing other people's things, taking them, essentially saying no to you and yes to me. Craig, this is definitely very much at the heart of how you play. And this may be you have directly rubbed off on me in this way as well. I know both. I was going to say both of you guys love stealing people's stuff. I think this is something stuff. that, that uh, yeah, is very. there are certain types of players that, uh, and typically a lot of blue players, this is a very blue mechanic, but taking control of somebody else's things after they've cast them is just one of the most satisfying it, <laughs> things to do in Magic. Because you're like, you just spent 12 mana on that you know, on that, uh, whatever it is on, on that Blightsteel Colossus, mm-hmm. I'm going to use my Memnarch and spend three mana to take it. It's and all mine. Exactly. So, you know, if this is a, a, uh, thing that you like to do, Memnarch is obviously a good commander for you. Mono blue, the Memnarch deck, extremely strong. Yeah. When Craig plays it, it's one of those cross your fingers and Hope it works out. I mean, so many decks are just not equipped to fight on that axis, you know, mm-hmm. of like, I'm just trying to hold on to my own stuff. Well, especially Certainly. because getting rid of Memnark doesn't get rid of the things that he's taken. Right. You know, a lot of those, uh, like uh, Vidalcan Shackles or, um, you know, Preacher. Or yeah, you get rid of Willow the effect so and then they get the stuff back. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, Memnarch is one where once once you take it, and uh, same with Empress Galena, once you take it, it's our it's yours. Um, some other cards that uh, kind of have that effect that you know we've chosen that are a little bit out of the out of the thought process are Helm of Possession, which was you know one of my pet cards. Sacrifice a creature, gain control of of target creature. Willow Seder, which uh, you, you know, play we, this card a lot, and it's surprisingly like it's oppressive. It's it's super oppressive, actually. Every time you play it, I'm like, oh man, Willow Seder. I, I Josh, totally with all of your yeah. little utility creatures, all goes. my stuff, <laughs> and I didn't think about Willow Seder. Yeah. And now I just can't beat that card. Willow Seder and Empress Galena. You know, it prevents people from playing their commander, which is a lot of a lot of people's decks rely on their commander to work properly. We should we should say Willow Seder and uh, Galena both take control of legend specifically yeah yes. galena legend or legendary permanent yeah galena can take lands and everything uh yeah, legend, willow Sater and galena do they get control back after galena dies no, no you just no. keep it yeah willow Sater. if willow Sater dies they get it back correct yeah, yeah. so willow Sater is also you know some advantages of willow Sater. all you have to do is tap him and as long as he stays tapped you you get you have control of that well mm-hmm. also it's a green card Ex- yeah which, yeah, is, which is very weird yeah and Empress Galena, you tap two blue and tapper, and you gain control of it permanently, regardless of if she untaps or not. But the investment of two mana is something that I think we can we can agree on. Whereas Willow Sater tapping it for nothing is hugely advantageous as well. Um, and then things like uh, corrupted conscience or treachery, uh, things of that nature, um, which corrupted conscience is obviously my favorite. Being yeah, it better be Craig. Exactly. It, it steals a creature and gives them in fact yeah. goodness gracious for CMC five. It's it's absurd. Now you do it's have the most the, Craig card ever. I is. steal your thing and I give it infect. Yeah, 
Uh, and I make myself the biggest target on the table. Definitely. Uh, in fact, playing this card does not make you any friends. Uh, no one will look at you and be like, nice, man, that was great. Yeah. They usually have a little bit of disdain in there. But, the, the, I mean, the ultimate feel bad is killing someone, not just with their commander, but one that has infect. You Killing them with them infect the with their own creature. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you need you... to do that to Phil. We need to get Phil <laughs> from the Commander in oh, no. uh, podcast <laughs> to play, and then you corrupted con- – you've played with him. You played with him on our 100th episode. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, you need to corrupted conscience – his thing and kill him with it because he's like so anti-phyrexia. It's great. You guys are definitely at the polar opposites of this very Vorthosy thing, which I think is great because it extends directly into gameplay and politics as well. You know, I just, um, while <laughs> I very rarely do this, but sometimes while we're recording, I have to write myself little notes. And uh, <laughs> the note I just wrote was, Buy a lot of willow satyrs. Yeah, they're starting to go up, so now's the time to pick them up. That is and, our that's our MTG finance segment for the day, everybody. That's our pick of the week. Uh, buy it's this. It's time thing. for the pick of the week. That was my brainstorm burrito. That's great. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So I just want to touch on one other card that's a little bit out of color. You know, we've been talking a lot of blue effects and things of that nature, but Olivia Voldarin definitely yes. deserves an uh, an honorable mention in this. Because for five mana to get her out and then four one, mana. Four mana to get her out and then what is it, two to ping something and then Yeah, so you can pay one in the uh, red to to ping something and then it gets a plus one uh, Olivia gets a plus one plus one counter and then for three black black you get to gain control of a vampire for as long as you have Olivia. So it is it, when you ping the thing it turns it into a vampire. Right, right. Which is yeah. so wonderfully flavorful. She bites them. They turn into vampires. And then she has control of vampires. So she takes them. Yeah. Because she embraces them in the old white wolf style. It's yeah. an incredibly fun card, especially in those colors. It's an effect that you don't typically get to do. And as Josh, you mentioned all the time, finding effects out of color is extremely powerful. Um, I've played a, a game recently where Olivia Voldaren stole some of my biggest creatures and there was nothing I could do about it. Did I do it too? Probably. Probably. <laughs> Actually, that did happen because I had about 40 cards in my hand and I could flash anything out and I didn't think you were ready for Olivia because Olivia came down. It wasn't yeah. just like, I'm not going to counter you. I'm just going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> that was exactly Mine. when it was. You're right. That was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, Craig, you taught me. I learned from the best and now I, these are all cards I play in all of my decks. Now it's I coming can. back to haunt you. I Seriously. hope you're proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like Anakin Skywalker, you know, I'm coming back for you. All right. Uh, that makes Craig Obi. I think we finally reached <laughs> Wait, the point. I think Jimmy's collection has surpassed mine. Dude, you're Perhaps. Hayden Christensen <laughs> and he's Ewan McGregor. Sorry, Jimmy, you got the short end of that I stick. did get the short end of that stick. <laughs> Dang. Man, life as a house. That's what I think about every time I think about Hank Christensen now. Um, wow. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lots of oh, wow in that guy's career. Anyway. Not Jumper. Come on. Ju- awesome. Uh, actually, that movie was kind of cool. I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Fine. It was fine. All right, next up, a very important category that uh, is why you 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 have this in your deck because of people like Craig and I that like to take control. You have sacrifice yep. outlets to save your things from being exiled, from being thefted away from you, or sometimes to get abilities to trigger. Yeah, sacrifice absolutely. Great. And one of the commanders that I think, uh, you know, if you like, you know, sacking things and, and having effects happen after that, Prosh is probably a commander that you're going to want to take a look at. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Prosh 
is actually a commander that we haven't played with as much uh, back in the early days of us playing the format. Yeah, shout out to Eli, our Eli, old editor, and Matt. Matt. Had, yeah, they had yeah. a couple of strong Prosh decks we used to play against all the time. Uh, sometimes there would be even two in one game, which is hard. Um, <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it's I the mean, best way to super just strong deck. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. with, uh, what's that god? The Perforos? Yep. yep. Oh, if, then, they, if uh, Perforos ever hits the table, the Prosh deck's winning like the next turn. Yeah, yeah. they are ready to go off. Yeah, that that deck is very very strong, but it you're right, it relies heavily around like cycling tokens and creatures and mm-hmm. if you go back to one of our early episodes, I forget what number when we had Matt Arnold uh who's one of the co-founders of Rocket Jump and one of the creators and directors of Video Game High School, we had him on and smart he guy. talked about this really interesting thought process that he went through uh when he was making Prosh where he thought of tokens as like currency to spend and the way that he would spend it was by sacrificing them or using them to different sack outlets for different effects so uh yeah this is really interesting and fits into this discussion because you have a couple of cards listed i'm gonna i'm gonna list them really quick is greater good perilous forays and statistic hypnotist each of those you sack a creature and it does something different one draws you cards one ramps you and one makes your opponent discard goblin bombardments uh a uh one yeah. an honorable mention to that as well yeah and it's just the idea of like okay i have a bunch of different ways to use my currency which is my creatures i can sack them to one of these five six however many things and mm-hmm. i get it whatever effect i need right now right and uh yeah super interesting way to think about it i really liked when matt talked about that perilous yeah. forays is one that uh i recently rediscovered and has just been such a house i mean it's five to get out which is a lot but paying one to be able to sacrifice a creature and then pull out a land with a basic land type. So you can pull out duels. You can pull out shocks. You can pull out the new, uh, the new battle lands. Here, let us read it really quick. Yeah. You, just, you said battle land. You, you meant have lands. Have you lands. can't say battle lands on the show. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Perilous forays is three and two green for an enchantment. You pay one sacrifice a creature, search your library for a land card with a basic land type and put it onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library. So like Craig said, you don't have to find a basic land. It just has to have a basic land type. So mm-hmm. shock lands, dual lands, have lands. They all say like swamp mountain, forest island, whatever. I just want to touch on two different types of, uh, of sack outlets as well that are always important. One is uh, artifacts and the other one is lands. And there's a lot of artifact sack outlets that can go in any deck that can either ramp you for mana or get uh, start making your opponents kind of uh, mill their cards. So Altar of Dementia, Phyrexian Altar, and Ashnod's Altar, all worth you know considering in any deck. Mm-hmm. And the lands High Market, Phyrexian Tower, and Diamond Valley, always worth considering, uh, you know, depending on your budget. Diamond Valley is not a cheap card, but yeah, these are all great, great cards. I think Marin, the Moaning Well, is another one. Legendary Land, tap to add a diamond or pay three. Tap it and sacrifice a creature, gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness. This is a card that doesn't see a ton of play, and it does cost three, but it's pretty powerful because the life gain can actually be relevant because it's not like high market where you just get one. You might get 10. Yeah. It's like a Diamond Valley that you have to pay for, but... Yeah, well, Diamond Valley's not cheap. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> I, think, I think Myron... Myron is yeah, cheapish. Think, oh, and Myron it also taps for mana where, you know, Diamond Valley doesn't... Myron? Myron sounds better. Myron sounds like it has two R's in it. Myron. Oh, man. Shivam. He's like pulling his hair out right now. Myron Crusader has two R's. So Myron, the Moaning Well it is. Myron. 
Who oh, names it a well, honestly, though? Well, it's moaning. I mean, if I had a well that was moaning, I might name it. I'd be like, well. <laughs> who has a well anymore? Yeah. Also, who has a well that's moaning? I'd be like, well, shut it. <laughs> what are you moaning about? Quiet well. I like, feel like I Myron, Myron is a good name for a moaning well. Yeah, I suppose so. Good <laughs> <laughs> moaning Myrtle. Um, uh, next category, play from your graveyard. This is definitely one of the Craig Blanchett specials as well. A lot of oh, your decks absolutely. has a lot of graveyard recur- uh, recursion in it, and it for good reason. I mean, my favorite deck is based off of that. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of win cons, which is another thing that we're going to touch on later. But, you know, Carador is a commander that you're going to want to consider if you like playing stuff from your graveyard. Yeah, Carador has a lot of text. He is five and then Abzan, so black, green, white for an eight CMC uh, legendary creature for a three, four. However, Carador costs one mana less, to, uh, one generic mana less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard and during each of your turns you may cast one creature card from your graveyard so if you have a way to mill a lot of stuff into your graveyard all of a sudden this guy just costs three cmc if you have five creatures in your graveyard which is pretty sweet and then you get to cast those creatures from your graveyard so you are not punished for putting cards in the graveyard in fact you're rewarded exactly and the nice thing about him too is those extra two mana that you have to pay to bring him out after he's died you know every Mm -hmm. time those the cards in your graveyard count towards that. So yeah. he can still even cost three, even if it's your third or fourth time bringing him out, if you have the cards in your graveyard. Pretty intense. Pretty intense. Um, Sun Titan is also a pillar of this uh, sort of category where when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you bring back a permanent card. You heard it right. Permanent from your uh, graveyard with CMC three or less, which is insane because that also includes lands. Uh, this includes a lot of things that blow up in the game. Sometimes people will board wipe your artifacts away and you don't have your soul ring anymore. Well, Sun Titan gets that back. And 3 CMC, I mean, the whole modern format is based around that number, which means there are a lot of very powerful cards at 3 CMC or less that are permanents. And Sun Titan just goes ahead and recurs all of them. And Puts them to the battlefield. Yeah. It, exactly. And Jim and I went back and forth on this because I personally like Amiria Shepard over Sun Titan. And I'd love to hear what you guys think in the comments to see if you guys prefer Sun Titan or Amiria Shepard. Yeah. Um, but what I really love about Amiria Shepard is it will get back permanence as well as long as you're dropping uh, planes. But just the the ability to be able to bring back enchantments, bring back artifacts, bring back lands of any size specifically. Exactly. It's still non. This is actually still non land permanent for Amiria Shepherd. But if it's a planes, it goes to the battlefield, and if you drop uh, any other land, you just get that card to your hand. So it actually rewards you for having a lot of lands in your deck because this is a seven CMC card uh, that requires you to keep drawing into lands but amira shepherd does have sort of two parts to it and i think it's based on your deck you're, you're building if you have higher cmc stuff in general you might find more value out of amira shepherd yeah um, you're right because amira shepherd is a landfall trigger so you have to kind of do two things amira shepherd also costs seven and you basically need the eighth land like i would never just play amira shepherd and pass a turn i would wait until i have that land drop right so I'd play a Mirror Shepherd, then drop the land and make sure that I got value. Right. And especially if it's a Plains. So I think if your Plains heavy, then well, a Mirror Shepherd might be better because to be able to recur something large, huge right. onto the battlefield right away is very strong. And what I really like about Amiria Shepherd too is I've uh, gotten around a few times where I've had something like Cross and Verge where now I can sack that to get a forest and a plains into play, but I can make my forest a forest plains. So now I'm dropping two planes 
because it you know, obviously yeah, it, it says lands a plane, it's not a basic plane. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think so. I I have ways of taking advantage of of that landfall trigger in the decks that I do play her. But even then, if you have seven mana plus the fetch land sitting there, yeah. that's still your eighth turn. It's yep. still the eighth mana. It's the same as me playing my land directly after it, um, because I have to have. I have to be one above seven. Basically. I see what you're saying. And it's Sun Titan is a, six. It's two mm-hmm. mana higher than the Sun Titan. Yes, instead of one. but again, Sun Titan can only get three CMC or less. Right. So yeah. eh, I don't know. Mirror really Shadow can get some ridiculous things. I mean, you can return. Sun Titan can get lands. Yep. Yeah, that's nice. Especially fetch lands. Oh my goodness, go to town, folks. Yep. Yeah. But again, he has to attack, and sometimes there's no one to attack. Mirror Shepherd. Not necessarily. Or enter the battlefield. I mean, the Titans were an insane cycle where the ETB and the attack triggers, the fact that they had both was, there's no wonder why Primeval was, was taken out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's in a cycle where one of them is banned, take a look at the other ones. Maybe yeah. there's some uh, maybe there's some gems in there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to the play stuff from your graveyard category, this is so important, I think, because specifically we're in a singleton format, right? So if you have key cards to your deck, you can't have four copies of it. So if you use it, I mean, we've all been in that situation, right? Where you've got a card and it's pretty key to your deck and like, crap, I have to use it just to stay alive right now. But that Mm -hmm. I know if I stay alive, I really am going to want that card later to actually win. Mm -hmm. So graveyard recursion in any deck really allows you to make those plays where it's like, I'll use it now to stay alive and no, no big deal. Later on, I'll get it back. Yeah. And absolutely. one of the cards that I think takes advantage of that the most is Yogmoth's Will. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're playing black, Yogmoth's Will is one of the cards that you're really going to want to consider. Notice As- that Craig's budget for cards is like huge because this card is not cheap either. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it also like Craig, $20 just, a couple Craig just ago. owned it. You know, back yeah, in the day. Craig true. may have cracked this from a pack, guys. All right. This is true. <laughs> I saw it. Was it you that traded for a bunch? Uh, or I did. was it you? It, it was, was you. me. And I got them at 20. They recently went up to like 35. Well, y'all got some, two in the black sorcery. You can play until your end of your turn. You can play cards from your graveyard. Wow. And this is including <laughs> lands. This is any card from your graveyard. So, you know, if one of your lands is in your graveyard and you want to get that back, you can bring it back into the battlefield. Now, Yogmoth's Will gets exiled, right? Because it goes into your graveyard that turn. If a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. That's the second part of Yogmoth's Will. Yeah, it's it's just so that you can't recur Yogmoth's Will like every turn. Absolutely, right, yeah. right, right. Yep, it, it's, uh, it's pretty insane. Yeah, it's a replacement effect, so it applies to both costs and effects. So just just so you guys know. So, uh, Yogmas will. I'm hoping for an EMA reprint. That's that's me talking because it was in Vintage Masters, which was the sort of vintage online MTGO version. Uh, so I think that it, this card plays, guys. I know what I want more. <laughs> uh, it seems like it would be sweet if it was in there. Absolutely, yeah, certainly. Um, and also a more recent card is Mizix's Mastery, which is a card that is similar to Past in Flame. Both of these cards essentially are the red versions of this effect, where you get to exile a card that's an instant or a sorcery, and you get to copy it. And you can pay the copy without paying its mana cost for Mizix's Mastery, and you can overload it by paying five red, 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 and you just cast everything in your graveyard for free. Uh, so obviously a very powerful card um, playing from the graveyard is just something that like we said very important there are lots of different ways to do it every color pretty much can do it in a different way it's something that magic's built into itself over many many years and it's always good always good yeah th- similar to how tutors are the um, colors each have a way that they do graveyard recursion but it's not the same as the how they tutor so green actually is 
kind of like black is for tutoring, mm-hmm. green is for the graveyard. Green, most likely like regrowth, eternal witness, can just get anything back out of the graveyard. Black is actually more like how green is for tutoring. Black can usually just get creatures out. So it kind of goes that way. Red and blue, instants and sorceries. Um, white, as we've seen, can get uh, permanence, basically. Yeah. Enchantment. It, it's changed over the years, so there are some cards that break that. But in general, that's where they fall into on the color pie right now. Certainly. Okay. Oh, next up, another another good pillar of the format. Pain for my enemies. Sounds uh, like Genghis Khan. Seriously. Yeah, man. He, he brought... a little bit Genghis Khan. Some people like to just see other people suffer. Nobody else but me. Nobody else but me. Actually, that is very fitting. Pain for no one else but me, kind of. Yeah, Craig enjoys making people suffer, definitely. I think we all do to an extent. You know, it's always fun to see, like, your board building up and everybody else is diminishing. At the end of the day, when you are winning the game, you are essentially making it painful for your enemies to lose. Uh, it has to be. It's hard to win the game without making it, quote-unquote, a pain. Well, it's interesting because I was thinking, like, damage, stuff that does damage to all my enemies, but that's not what's in here. So let's, no. yeah, let's is, talk about this it. This is making it uncomfortable. This is, like, stack stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the commander that I think you, you know, you'd want to consider if, if you like making other people suffer is Gisela. Blade um, of Gold Knight. She kind of exemplifies all of this. She doubles the damage dealt to all of your opponents from any source and halves the damage dealt to you or all the permanents you control from any source. Yeah, which is pretty nuts. She's also just a 5-5 flying first strike angel. I mean, that's kind of great. With her effect makes her a 10-10 first strike angel. Yeah, for four red, white, white. So seven mana for a 5-5 flying first strike already. That's a good card. Except it's in Boros. It's in Boros, yeah, which is the sad part. You know what? Her effect is trying to get you to the point where people are like, wait, I didn't even get to get my card draw engine online because Gisela came out. It's like, yeah. yes, <laughs> that is the reason you are here, Gisela. Um, yeah, I agree. Gisela is incredible pain for your enemies. And the nice part is that it's not pain for yourself. It's not something that's like a red effect that says double all damage everywhere. Right. You actually get, she protects you, which is really nutty. Um, another card you have on here, that, a card that I've been playing with for a very long time is Fate Spinner. One blue blue for a creature human wizard. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player chooses draw step, main phase, or combat phase. And then that player skips each instance of the chosen step or phase this turn. So if they choose main phase, they lose two main phases. Uh, Draw and combat uh, are usually just a one-ofs, but you lose every instant of that, which is pretty nuts. People really have to choose. You have to remind people, but it's... It ends up always affecting the board much more than I think it will. Yeah, this is a card that I, you know, I think a lot of people kind of put off to the side and and don't really think of a lot. But for three CMC, every time I see this card come out, it it, it changes the game mm-hmm. in in like a major major way. The only downside of this card is the person playing it really has to stay on top <laughs> of, you know, did this did the next player kind of pick a a uh, a phase to skip. You were basically stopping everybody at the start of their turn and going, <clears throat> what, what do you choose? Exactly. Yeah. What do you choose? Uh, hold on. What do you choose? Uh, what, do you, what do you choose? Uh, yeah. So that is certainly a downside. I will say that much. And the nice thing is it only happens for your opponents, which, you know, the best pain for my enemies cards only happen for your opponents and don't happen for you. Um, but so, some of the others are, you know, Elish Norn giving all your creatures plus two, plus two, and everybody else is minus two, minus two. It's a great built in board wipe. Uh, you know, another one that kind of follows that is Massacre Worm. Um, one of Josh's favorites is Aether Flash. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Aether Flash. <laughs> that actually affects you, too, but... 
I mean, I see. I w- I would disagree with the statement that the best ones affect only your opponents. Right. A lot of the best ones affect everybody, but you just you're like I have that card in my deck, so I'm just going to build it a certain way so mm-hmm. that you know that card just doesn't do anything to me because my my deck doesn't care. Uh, this is probably my favorite category. <laughs> <laughs> and stacks is very good. Again, it went, stacks. When we say stacks, it's essentially. I think of it as putting weights on your opponent's shoulders, making it harder for them to move, uh, for them to do the things that they want to do. Uh, cards like this are usually cards that make spells cost more mana or allow you to not play as many cards per, per turn. And it because in a one-on-one game, you're only doing it to one person or just you and the other player, in a multiplayer game, the effect is akin to board wipes where you are affecting a mass amount of people and doing a huge amount of work with just one card. I think of it as like pouring molasses over the entire game. Oh, right? Nice. You know, it just slows everything. It doesn't usually Are we like just... stacks of pancakes. Then <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> usually just stop it cold a hundred percent. Sometimes they do. That's your goal is to eventually get there, but it's usually stacking up a bunch of slow down effects until everything else is just stopped. Mm-hmm. I think it actually comes from Smokestack, the card though. Oh the, right, the, the term which Makes is a sense. four mana artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a soot counter on Smokestack, and then at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a permanent for each soot counter on Smokestack. <laughs> which you know some of the other cards on this list that uh kind of follow that are butcher of malakir grave pact there's the white one where whenever a permanent you control becomes you know uh, goes to the graveyard everybody else sacrifices one martyrs bond yeah non-land permanent we uh right, right, right. Uh, it's certainly a card that i remember now yep linvala oh, oh, yeah my bad <laughs> yep. linvala hey, cyclonic rift plague wind mind slaver even mind sensor stranglehold uh Karabek the merciless there's a lot of these cards that just make it painful for your enemies, but not so painful for you. Absolutely. Um, and our final category here uh, that we're going to talk about today is very fitting. Game Enders. This is actually something that's very interesting, and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this, because I think I think at a certain point in my deck building uh, life cycle, I forgot to put in Game Enders <laughs> to my decks, and then I realized... Right, that is something you need to do, and I put them back in, and I've had more fun since. <laughs> and I think to your point, it's one of those things that, like, early on in your EDH career, you put a lot of those game enders in, and mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of answers, and then you play a lot of games, and you realize, oh, wait, some of those game enders didn't work, and I needed answers. So then you put in answers, and yeah, I think you're you're onto something that there's a constant ebb and flow that I think a lot of EDH players go through, which is putting in game enders versus putting in answers. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's the reason that we play the game is to evolve our, our play style and our deck. And um, I think at first game enders are the most attractive cards on paper because it says, Oh, if I do this, it is very obvious to me that I'm going to win the game because of this. And after a while you think, okay, I'm going to do this in a more subtle way. I don't need insurrection anymore to steal everything, and kill everyone. Uh, but the nice thing is that you actually do still need some of these uh, because sometimes there are unwinnable games. Certain matchups just will not be favorable for you or your deck or how you built your deck. And a card like Triumph of the Hordes is there for you. Absolutely. Craig, what, does, <laughs> what does Triumph of the Hordes do? Triumph of the Hordes is one of my favorite cards of all time. It's uh, two green and two other for a sorcery, and it says all creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and infect and trample until end of turn. Trample and infect. Yep. That is the big one. It's, and plus one, plus one. 
Yeah, it's just a way to one-shot someone or usually or the, the, table. Table. the entire yeah. table. You know, because yeah. you can one-shot somebody, one person with like a tainted strike, a phoresis, a grafted exoskeleton. Those all give infect everybody. They all give infect just to, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the nice thing about Triumph of the Hordes is it gives everything infect. And if you have a ton of creatures, like if you're playing a token deck... It, Triumph of the Hordes is an obvious choice to to really be able to just wipe the wipe the board. Actually, not as obvious as you might think. I, I think just because the infect thing throws people off a little bit. Um, you have to have a deck that has a lot of creatures too, because mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything if you've got like two dudes. Not nothing, but it doesn't maybe do enough to ice the entire board. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very scary card. So you almost only want to play it when you are going to to. KO everybody or at least almost everybody because even if it's just sitting there in your graveyard it's this thing that's at any time you could bring back and cast again and kill everybody and they've seen it now so it's a huge target once you do it so it's so so much better to play it and win or you know everybody except one player and you're uh, already yeah, and this puts you in the lead enough, you know, to to make sure that you're gonna be able to close the game out. Absolutely. Yeah. To your point, if it's ever in your graveyard, the the likelihood is that there's only one player left, or you won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Or it got countered. <laughs> or it got countered. Right. Or someone played a uh, fog, which is the uh, of course the other way around it. Um, Cyclonic Rift, by the way, Overloaded is also a game ender. Um, sometimes it's a lifesaver, but many many times I've seen it just be an, a game ender when you bounce every target non-land, every non-land permanent that you don't control. Nuts. Yeah, it's, it's super super good. It's not a game ender. It's not a in the way that like Insurrection is. Insurrections are go-to if you listen to the show of just like you cast that and if it goes according to plan, you take 20 creatures. Insurrection takes all the creatures on the board. You get control of them. It basically act of treasons everything. And then, you know, in the best case scenario, that's enough to just kill everybody because they also don't have any blockers and you mm-hmm. have a bunch of creatures. Um, yeah, Cyclonic Rift is a little more... You have to have a little more than that. Like right. if you put Cyclonic Rift in your deck as a game winner... I don't know that that's probably going to get you there. It can be. However, if your plan is make a board state where if I do this, I'm pretty much going to try and win because of it, then yeah. Right. But Crater Hoof Behemoth, there, that's right. a game ender, right? You play it, it gives your guys plus 27, plus 27, and trample, and that means you have 27 dudes, and that that will win you know, reliably very often yep. because you wouldn't cast it if you've only got one other creature. Notice how all of the cards we've played so far say either account all in some dimension, like everything you own, or all of other things. There's a reason for that. <laughs> and I think there's one that kind of breaks that mold that also kind of gets overlooked a lot, and uh, that's Exsanguinate. And it's a it's an uncommon from the Zendikar block. I don't remember exactly what set. but It's Scars of Mirrodin originally oh okay yeah so it's one black and x or is it two black two and x? black 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 x two black and x and exsanguinate deals x damage to each opponent and you gain life equal to the life lost this way it actually doesn't do damage they just lose, lose x life. it would actually yeah. i think i believe it would beat glacial chasm mm-hmm. yeah because it's loss of life it's total it's different right. than damage yeah yeah and, and the well, nice thing about this is if you get you know if a board uh state is down to say 11 life each yeah, you cast this for eleven because you likely have eleven mana at that point. Even if you just take one person out, if that person had like an incredibly powerful board state, mm-hmm. this is a way to serve taking someone out of the game if you just have enough mana. Also, in the Get Rock deck that we were talking about, this is one of the key pieces if you have infinite mana in black to just yeah just win the game. Yeah, 
Because it's um, every opponent all at once. I always keep an eye out on the cards that say each opponent something. Each opponent, yeah. Every yeah. upkeep, uh, yeah. Every, all, each, oh. very powerful words in a game where you're playing with more than two people. It just scales Every perfectly. upkeep yeah. is one of my favorite things to read on a card ever. <laughs> yeah, and you'll notice as well that Wizards has refrained from printing cards that say every upkeep. Right. Um, actually, in Shadows, there are a lot of cards that say on the beginning of your opponent's upkeep. Yeah. Just to try and limit the power level of these things. But yeah, always good to keep an eye out for that, especially if you're a new player trying to get into the game and get those small edges. These cards are the ones that you're going to want to be looking for. Uh, a game ender we don't mention enough, which is a very, very big one, and we should probably talk about more, is Tooth and Nail. Right. Tooth and Nail, right. so often, if, if you pay its entwine costs, it allows you to go tutor for two creatures and put those creatures directly into play. Not even that, any two creatures from your hand. So you yeah. could have already Oh, hand had one. or library, yeah. right. So. Yeah, it it's it can be a total game ender in a lot of decks where you can find, you know, certain two Micaeus and Triskelion. Yeah, mm-hmm. or Kiki and Pestermite or whatever it is that you want. Those can be game enders too yeah. if you have that type of combo in your deck. So while Exsanguinate is something that may require you to pay twenty mana, tooth and nail is nine mana, yep. you could just win. I mean it's like insurrection, basically. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you guys talked about earlier that evolution that players go through, which is like you first build your decks, you have too many win conditions. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And then you go the total other direction, which is you don't have enough win conditions, and then eventually you land at this nice sweet spot where most of your decks have enough win conditions. Mm-hmm. And uh tooth and nail sits at that nice place where it, it usually makes it to the end. It usually is in the end version of that deck where, like, yep, it's a win condition, but it's also a card that's useful when I'm not using it as an, a, a win condition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whereas Insurrection, I feel like, doesn't often make it. It's mm-hmm. In our playgroup, at least, it's it's come to the point where, like, very few Insurrections are played because of the meta has changed. And so we used to have a lot. Then we have – now we have very, very few because it just so often is not useful at all. Yep. Precisely. Well, our our play group has been very good at keeping people at bay. You know, if somebody starts going too crazy, somebody at the table is gonna gonna set them back a little bit. And so, insurrection in those sort of games just isn't as good. You, you know, yeah, whereas, you get four creatures. What's that do? Right. It's just like whereas if somebody some just starts yeah. building up a bunch of creatures and everybody has enough creatures to block everybody else and stuff like that, those are the games that I used to play a lot at the card shops. I I do remember. You know, and this was four or five years ago, so you know maybe the card base wasn't there. I haven't put too much thought into it, but those games seem to be much more aggro based, and so Insurrection was obviously a, a huge go to during those games. Certainly. All right, Craig, your unified theory of Commander. I just want to run down our uh, categories. We had stuff in every deck, ramp cards, card draw, protect yourself, protect yourself at all times, find what you need, tutors, take control. Shoot, that might actually be my favorite category. I've lied. Sack outlets. <laughs> so it's all three of our well, favorites. Well, the, the two words, take control. Actually, yeah. jo- there was but, a literal like light bulb. That was but like, wait. Oh, no, no. I just meant control decks. You guys are yeah. meaning it to actually steal people's stuff. Steal that's people's that's stuff, your thing. Yeah. That's not my But yeah, the, the words take control, yeah. certainly. Uh, sack outlets. Play from your graveyard. Pain for my enemies, which actually kind of means stacks. That's my favorite. I lied. Mm. And then game enders, finishers. My favorite was uh, red. Oh, that, that was the category. Shoot. My favorite was Wooberg. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite was Blue or Infect. Yeah. Infect, certainly. Um, to the listeners for this week, we're going to ask you guys and gals, what are your favorite cards for these effects? Uh, obviously, we listed a lot. Trust me, there are uh, literal hundreds that what's we did a, not talk about. What's a category we didn't that Craig didn't list that you think is 
important to your own mm-hmm. personal unified theory of commander um you know a, a whole category of cards maybe we didn't talk about yeah it's uh, also a great thing to think about too just in general because it'll help you build your decks better uh you won't walk into something feeling as lost you you'll know like oh i like to do this and i haven't tried this so i'm curious about this or whatever and having your own unified theory is, is a great way to facilitate better deck building i think it's a great way to facilitate better life having core philosophies is so good Yes. It's just a good way to, it, and it makes shortcutting decisions a lot easier too. You're like, oh, I like this thing. It makes it so that I don't have to dwell a long time on deciding certain things. I'd be like, I know I like that. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And dwelling is good. Don't get us wrong, but shortcuts are also good too. And you got to have a good balance of everything. <laughs> All right. So, oh, I also want people to t- to weigh in on the Sun Titan versus Amiria Shepherd argument because oh, yeah, I'm actually wanna, not sure. Yeah, I want to hear more on that. And uh, you know. I, think, I feel like Sun Titan Dwell will win it, because, because it's <laughs> because it's it's like been around longer. Yeah. So it's gonna be like that stalwart, like you know, it's it, I've used Sun Titan a million times, and Mirror Shepherd's pretty new, and people haven't had a, a long time to sort of play with it and mm-hmm. have a lot of stories where they got in Mirror Shepherd and it did something awesome, but they probably have a lot of Sun Titan moments like that. So try and wait your answers. You know, it, I don't know. Just thinking about that. Yeah. Let us know, please. All right, we're moving on to the end step where we talk about something cool outside of the world of magic. We have a couple of things today. Josh, want to hit it off? Yes. So I started a new book, and it's sort of slightly tangentially related to the world of magic because on Twitter, I had seen this conversation where somebody was asking about some book recommendations because they were going on a flight. And then I saw Trick Jarrett and Blake Rasmussen, both from Wizards of the Coast, had replied to that thread, uh, both suggesting the same book. And since I'm a big reader, and at the moment I didn't have a book I was reading, I was like, well, those two guys, they seem like they're smart guys. They probably know what they're talking about. I'll check out this book. And it turns out it's very, very good. The book is called Spin. 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 It's about sort of the slight future where, for some reason, all the stars went out. Uh huh. So there's no stars in the sky. Robert Charles Wilson. Robert Charles Wilson. Yeah, there's a, actually, if you look up Spin on like Amazon, there'll be two. There'll be like a mafia romance one. It's not that one. <laughs> it's the... Uh, Are you sure you don't enjoy mafia romance? Novel? Yeah, it's the sci It's the sort of sci-fi. It's like a smart sci-fi. Cool. It's, the mafia uh, is involved though, is it not? No, no not really. Oh, that's oh, not no, this that's one? The, actually, no. that, the next book we talk about does involve the mafia. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. So, Spin... Is is very good. I would recommend checking it out. It's actually a trilogy. I haven't even finished Spin all the way yet, but this is something cool that's ongoing. I'm most of the way through it. It's I love it's, the names of all the books. It's Spin, Axis, and Vortex. It's the names are lame. It's just like movie titles these days. We don't title anything well. I'm not going to go off on that tangent. It did win the Hugo Award though, so that is very big. That is very big. Yeah. So did Axis actually, which is nuts. Did Snow Crash? Um. Probably. No, Ender's Game actually. did, for sure. At least it's not the spin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, spin. no, sorry. Axis did not win uh, the Hugo Award. Well, that's the second book we're going to talk about. But is there anything else you want to say more about spin? No, but I was going to say, because we, I was talking about that, and, we were, and Jimmy was like, is it fantasy? And I was like, no, it's sci-fi. And he was like, I like sci-fi. And then you said, I need to reread Snow Crash. Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. This is a pillar of I mean, similar to the topic today, this is like one of the best sci-fi books ever written i think if you haven't read snow crash you have to read it it's ender's game good yeah this was not nominated for the hugo this is crazy it came Um, back and came out in 92 so they had the hugo award back then though 
Yeah, but it not wasn't the, even but nominated. Not the internet, really. Yeah, true. Snow Crash is crazy good. It's sort of like the originator of Ready Player One, I feel like, mm-hmm. um, which is that soon-to-be Steven Spielberg movie that was a book that everybody liked. Snow Crash is like way better than Ready Player One. Uh, I don't know. We were talking about it earlier, and I just wanted to talk about it on the end step because the book's so good. Yeah, it is incredible. Um, it, it's hard to talk about what it's about. This is pre-internet. The internet in this book is called The Metaverse, but it is incredibly original. It's it's funny. It, the same guy wrote The Cryptonomicon, uh, which is also a quite a heady book um super heady yeah don't read cryptonomicon first read snow crash first yeah read snow crash cryptonomicon might turn you off from reading snow crash it's very good but it's hard to read um yeah neil stevenson basically envisioned a version of the internet before the internet existed and and the whole book of snow crash revolves around a virtual reality version of the internet where you Mm -hmm. actually uh embody an avatar and walk around of space it's kind of like world of warcraft but it's actually virtual reality and then there's this virus that starts hitting and and computer programmers are actually dying in real life from a virus inside the computer. Yeah. Uh, it's also this amazing world that he built where like, there's no more nations anymore. It's actually corporate nations. So you would be like the citizen of, you know, the Ford motor company or something. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And the, and the hero actually works as a pizza delivery guy (laughs) for, a pizza for the for the mob the mob's actually a nation also you know and he's a citizen of i forget what they're called the uncle enzo's army or something like that yeah it sounds crazy the book is so good though i probably turned people off who i shouldn't have by describing it just trust us go check out snow crash yeah it you will not be I, I, I in fact i guarantee it you're going to like it there's a game um richard garfield's game that he design oh, netrunner netrunner that's basically snow crash yeah netrunner is an incredible game um so richard garfield who created magic the gathering yeah one he's created a few games since but one of the games recently was netrunner yeah and it took place in the setting of uh the cyberpunk 2020 netrunner uh, world um i don't want to throw shade on richard garfield but he basically it's snow crash yeah, there's that a world. lot of elements yeah. of Snow Crash on there. Uh, it's sort of like how Warhammer was the originator of like uh, World of Warcraft. You know, Warhammer was there, and then before that, you know, you have the, the fantasy world goes back, the sci-fi world goes back. Snow Crash is one of the the books at the very beginning of that right. world. Not World of Warcraft, just Warcraft, just Warcraft. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Warcraft into World of Warcraft into Heroes of the Storm and everything. Right. Anyway, Snow Crash and good, Spin. Good stuff. Snow Crash is better than Spin. Well, maybe Spin's better. I don't know. I haven't finished it. I'm I'm excited to read Spin if it's anything like Snow Crash. I do it's, love. It's actually not like it, but <laughs> because they're both so, sort of sci-fi. I like tech. I like tech. Anything. Spin's very good. You've already you read Snow Crash again, and then read Spin, and we'll talk. Okay, great. I'll do that. I'm Sweet. not gonna lie. I've been thinking of Palincron combos ever since you guys <laughs> mentioned Necronomicon or something. Uh, Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Cryptonomicon. Oh yeah. All I, all I thought name. of was was Palincron. Necronomicon is the from the Evil Dead. The Dead. Yeah, the Necronomicon. <laughs> I said the words. I said most of them. <laughs> <laughs> the Necronomicon. All I right, let's like not go on that tangent. Watch Evil Dead. Okay. Yeah. I'll tap all your lands. <laughs> Another thing you should watch or rather listen to is the Masters of Modern podcast. Our buddies Alex Kessler, your buddy Alex Kessler, yeah. and Ben Bateman. Ben Bateman. Uh-huh. They talk about modern and all things competitive magic. They're gearing up for uh, Grand Prix Los Angeles. They've been doing a lot of testing with our buddy Josh Kim, some other folks. They're super on top of it and really excited about the 
unbannings and the bannings in modern and all the new brew possibilities mm -hmm. you really need to go check them out uh if you're at all interested in modern even if you never played i listen to them all the time yeah they're They've great got some really cool brew brews going on that i heard josh kim talking about i heard kessler talking about these new unbannings are really kind of uh, opening up their minds kessler to, uh, is a really Johnny interesting thing when it comes to uh, modernness he's described himself uh and i love that because oh, I, I think comes up with some crazy, crazy brews that really work. Yeah, Kessler is is quite the deck builder, and Ben also uh, has his great pet cards, and he makes awesome decks around them too. So make sure you guys listen to the podcast. You can find them at the MMCast on Twitter. Our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Cards animations. Uh, those are those start the video podcast. Uh, you can find Jeffrey at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. Uh, this, by the way, I mean. Maybe we should have said this at the beginning. This episode is going to be good if you watch it in video format. So if you just finished the audio version, go back and check out the video format because you'll see all the cards thanks to Terry's hard work, and you can read along. Craig, where can we find you on the Twitters? Uh, at Craig Blanchett. At Craig easy. Blanchett. Very, very easy. You should also check out Top Decking, which Craig uh, was one of the creators of. It's a, a web series about Magic the Gathering. Super funny. Yep. And Alice Kessler from Master Modern, also another, involved in that project. Uh, all right, Craig, thanks for coming on. Thanks oh, for having me. I will say one thing, though, Craig. We're almost at a year since you last tweeted. It's been a long time. April 28th, 2015. <laughs> I'll post something soon. There will be a new one up when you guys go to my Twitter. I'm holding you to it. I'm holding right. you to it. Long live the Phyrexian. <laughs> That's actually the last thing you tweeted was long live the Phyrexian. Hashtag proliferate. <laughs> Did you know that was the last thing you tweeted when you said that just now? I did. Oh, uh, that's amazing. You remembered your tweet from a year ago? Yeah, I've made so few of them. I know what they all are. Holy cow. I don't remember <laughs> what I tweeted two seconds after I tweeted. You're a baller, Craig. I love it. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. All okay. right, everybody. Thanks yep. for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.